0: In 2018, comedic actor Jordan Peele, known mostly for his sketch comedy show Key & Peele along with partner Keegan-Michael Key, became the first African-American to win an Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for his socially conscious horror thriller film Get Out. This film was the first since The Silence of the Lambs in 1992 to win one of the big Oscars and was a huge step forward for horror to finally be accepted as a legitimate genre by the Academy. Today on Filmgasm, I take a look back at Jordan Peele's horror debut, Get Out, as well as provide a brief look back at some of the other horror films throughout movie history that were serious Oscar contenders. It's no accident that I'm releasing this podcast the same week that Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out comes out. Very much looking forward to Us, a film that critics are already calling one of the scariest films of all time. It's not even out yet, it's got 100% on Rotten Tomatoes and people are calling it one of the scariest, most unbelievable horror films ever made. I won't do an episode on that for some time, so you know I don't want to spoil it for anybody. We at Filmgasm call that the Gentleman's Rule. No spoilers. To prepare for this week's release, I wanted to take another look at a film that surprised the hell out of me the first time I watched it and showed us that Jordan Peele has the potential to be the next Hitchcock. We all thought it was M. Night Shyamalan for a while, but nope. It was the dude from Key and Peele. Who, who would have thought? The guy who made Keanu. Love that movie. And Peele's even helming the new Twilight Zone reboot set to premiere on CBS All Access on April 1st. I can't wait for that. I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan, and this looks like the first reboot that could actually make a splash. I think it's going to be really cool. Uh, Now, before we get started, thanks for tuning in, you magnificent motherfuckers. My name is Connor Azagari. I'm a massive film buff, and Filmgasm is a podcast where I talk about my favorite genre, horror, as well as weird Hollywood shit that piques my interest. If you'd like to see more from Filmgasm, feel free to visit filmgasm.com where you can check out daily movie reviews, articles about movies, the newest trailers, and all of my early podcasts that I did with my partners, some of whom will be appearing as featured guests in the future. Stay tuned in a couple weeks for a two-part Filmgasm chronicling the career of Quentin Tarantino featuring my partner Austin Johnson. That's going to be a good one. We recorded that last week, getting it ready for the uh, fifth Filmgasm, it's gonna be the first weird shit Wednesday. I'll explain all that in that podcast. It's gonna be really cool. Now I want to get out. Get Out has an IMDB score of 7.7 and a Rotten Tomatoes critic score of ninety-eight percent. For the longest time it was sitting at hundred percent. Till I guess two people didn't like it, which sucks because hundred percent that is coveted. I mean, you know, anything above like seventy is considered a great film to me, but a hundred percent that's next to impossible it never happens for new movies it happens some classics have it but not a lot. Uh Get Out was also nominated for four Oscars, including the win for screenplay, but it also got nominated for best picture, best director, and best actor for Daniel Kaluuya. Again, this is a horror film. <laughs> this almost never happens. And if it does, it's like once in several decades. It's unprecedented, well, it's precedented, but it's it's exciting, you know, for horror fans. But, you know, more on that later. Get Out tells the story of a young photographer named Chris, played by Kaluuya, who travels with his girlfriend Rose, played by Allison Williams, to meet Rose's family, including her father Dean, played by Bradley Whitford, her mother Missy, played by Catherine Keener, and her brother Jeremy, played by Caleb Landry-Jones. They go to... Chris and Rose go to, like, an upstate plantation-looking place to meet Rose's parents who don't know that or I guess they do know that she's got a black boyfriend now before I continue spoiler alert granted it's been two years since the film came out and you should pretty much consider a spoiler alert before every single podcast because you know how am I going to be able to talk about what I want to talk about if I'm just scratching the surface so calling it now every filmgasm from here on out spoiler alert it's your fault if you don't pay attention to that okay As the film progresses, you learn that Chris is in danger. Rose's family has been abducting black people using Rose as a lure. They are then implanting the brains of rich old white people into the bodies of black people so they can be stronger, faster, cooler, or whatever their individual reasons are. As far as concepts go, Get Out has a genuinely disturbing and brilliant one that stands out due to its originality. Never have I heard of anything this fucking wackadoodle in a movie, and it's, it's treated with such seriousness, that you forget that it's really kind of wacky, and it's, I think it's a big part of why this film is such a hit. And the other reason, I think, is how this film handles racism. It's never overt and obvious, it's casual, with lines like, quote, I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could have, or I knew Tiger Woods, or black is in fashion. The villains of the film, they're not, KKK racists, you know, they're old money, liberal coddling racists who don't even consider themselves racist. They think that, you know, they're hip and now to the to the black man. And it's ugh, it's ridiculous. Very few films take the time to address this side of racism. And I think with Get Out being, you know, it's a major part of the film. And I think that really is a big part of why this stood out. And there's so many hints that the black characters working at the house, uh, Georgina and Walter, are not what they appear to be. This film uses racially pointed conversation as a gateway to the horror, almost in the same way that Jaws use dorsal fins in the beach. The setup is brilliant and the execution is just as good. It's no wonder we're still talking about this movie two years later. (laughs) And uh, My favorite character is definitely Rod, the TSA agent played by uh, Lil Rel Howery. He injects some much-needed comedy into this dark story, and he's right about pretty much everything. The whole movie, he's always telling Chris, you know, don't go into that house. Like, stay away from all those white people. They're going to make you a sex slave or some shit. He's almost really accurate, and it's it's cool. He's like, he's the hero. You know, he saves Chris at the end, which is, thank God, because uh, there was an alternate ending that Jordan Peele filmed that was so goddamn bleak, it just would have almost ruined the movie. Basically, Chris is arrested by the cops and he goes to prison for the murder of the Armitage family. And, oh, that would have pissed me off so bad. Well, thank God that didn't happen. Uh, Oh, I want to talk about the opening of the film real quick. Which is a total stereotype reversal and not at all what you expect. I think it's brilliant. In the opening, a black guy is walking alone in the suburbs at night and is approached by a white car playing an old song from the 30s or at least that's what the subtitles on my Blu-ray said, and then he's abducted. Now, I don't agree with the stereotype I'm about to describe, but it exists, so I'm going to talk about it. Uh, Typically, the scene you'd expect to see is a white man or a white woman walking through the projects alone at night, and they're followed by an SUV or some other kind of giant black car that's blaring rap music, and they'd feel unsafe, typically. Again, I don't agree with it, but it does exist, and I think the fact that the film's first scene flips this stereotype—it basically tells you that the film you're about to watch is not going to go the way you think. <laughs> just I love the way Jordan Peele subverts expectations. It's so good. I can't wait to see what he does with us, because the trailer is so creepy. I just I think he's a I think he's a genius. So, hypnosis. Does it really work the way it does in Get Out? Now, in Get Out, Missy, uh, Catherine Keener, hypnotizes Chris using a teacup and saucer by uh, spinning the spoon around the saucer, around the cup, and making a noise that triggers Chris to lock up and paralyzes him. Now, will this really work? Now, according to an article from Inverse.com, yeah, kind of. The spinning spoon really could work as a fixation device, but unlike Chris in the movie, you can't be tricked into hypnosis. You have to be open for it to work. Like, you have to believe in it for it to actually work. And also, there's a good to fair chance that Chris wouldn't even be able to be hypnotized. Only about 5 to 10% of people are easily hypnotized. But still, it's a freaky scene. Particularly this, the, the sunken place where the black people abductees in the film are trapped forever while rich white people walk around in their bodies. It's this dark hole, this endless void that Chris is just kind of flailing around in, unable to speak, unable to scream. It's haunting. And a place like this, according to Hypnosis, the uh, Hypnosis article I read, a place like this is created by the subject's mind during Hypnosis. It's a hallucination brought on by feelings of involuntariness that come with hypnosis. And it's different for everyone. So that's Chris's personal hell in the movie. Which makes sense because he's his whole life been dealing with a fear of loneliness. ever since, And a fear of being trapped ever since he didn't act in time to save his mom from a hit and run. So of course his subconscious would create just a dark void that he can't escape. Which makes me wonder, like, what is mine? What is yours? You know, what what is what would our subconscious do in that situation to make us feel trapped? It's a very frightening thought. Eesh. Um Alright. So earlier I had mentioned other horror films that have been up for big Oscars. So I wanted to let you know some of the major ones. This'll be short since there haven't been a lot. And if I miss any, please let me know so I can mention them in later episodes. I always love to be corrected. Uh, Yeah. So these are the major horror films that have made a splash at the Oscars uh, off the top of my head. First, there was 1960's Psycho, which scored four nominations, including Best Director and Best Supporting Actress for Janet Leigh. I really want to do a filmgasm on Psycho, for sure. It's been way too long since I saw that. And pretty much all of these movies are going to be a filmgasm at some point. Because, you know, this is horror. Of course, I'm going to tackle the big ones that took almost took home the Oscar gold. Uh, so after Psycho, there's 1968's Rosemary's Baby, which I still haven't seen. I know. Call myself a horror fan. I haven't seen Rosemary's Baby. I know. I'm going to get to it. I promise. This podcast is a great uh, excuse to finally watch that. Uh, Rosemary's Baby won Best Supporting Actress for Ruth Gordon and was nominated for Adapted Screenplay. Uh, Then there's 1973's The Exorcist, which was nominated for ten Oscars and won two Adapted Screenplay and Sound Mixing. But it was nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actress for Ellen Burstyn, Best Supporting Actor for Jason Miller, and Best Supporting Actress for Linda Blair. Now I have seen The Exorcist only once. I think it's creepy, I don't think it's as scary as everyone seems to think, but I'll save that for the inevitable exorcist filmgasm, but I gotta say this, Linda Blair should have been nominated for Best Actress in that movie. That performance is frightening to this day, and (laughs) supporting actress is bullshit. She's the star of that movie. Okay, moving on. 1975, Jaws which won three Oscars, including original score for John Williams, well-deserved, and was nominated for Best Picture. Then the big one, the only horror film to ever win Best Picture, 1991's The Silence of the Lambs. Definitely going to do a film guys on that one probably soon. Uh, that movie won five of its seven nominations, including Best Actor for Anthony Hopkins, Best Actress for Jodie Foster, and Best Director for Jonathan Demi. It's one of three films to ever win the big five, which are actor, actress, director, screenplay, and picture. The other two are 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and 1934's It Happened One Night. It's not happened since. Probably won't happen again, considering these days the Academy likes to kind of spread it around, kind of spread the love, which is fine. Just... I don't know, it just seems like we'll never get a, you know, a big winner again. Uh, finally, in 1999, there was The Sixth Sense, which was nominated for six Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, Best Supporting Actor for Haley Joel Osment, and Best Supporting Actress for Toni Collette. Sixth Sense was a great film. Would love to do uh, Filmgasm on M. Night Shyamalan's career. That would be a wild roller coaster. just great films then plummet straight to the bottom and then uh uptick again a couple years ago with split so i don't know is the guy good is he bad i don't know i think he's just i think he's finally realizing that his uh ego got the best of him and he's back to kind of simplifying things but i don't know glass was pretty complicated i did like it but you could tell he was he's starting to get a little full of himself again uh, and there have been other movies that, other horror films that uh, appeared at the Oscars, like 1990s Misery. Kathy Bates won Best Actress for that. Um, An American Werewolf in London created the Best Makeup Oscar, which was taken home later on by films like The Fly and The Wolfman. Horror, uh, best makeup likes horror a lot. That tends to, you know, if a horror movie is going to get nominated for anything, odds are it's going to get nominated for makeup. But you know, for a horror film to get a big nomination is special, and that's that's why Get Out was such a shocker because it was it was good when I saw it, but I didn't walk away thinking, "Oh, this is gonna dominate come award season." Because that just didn't doesn't happen, and I'm very glad it did. Uh, okay, FilmGasm facts. IMDb is filled with weird trivia and fun facts about every film ever made. So in this segment, I seek out the ones I think are the funniest, weirdest, or just plain bizarre, and I share them with you. And uh, I, got f- I got four from Get Out, so uh, let's keep going. Looks like this one might end up being kind of short. Oh well. Uh, number one. At a Vanity Fair screening of the film, Jordan Peele explained that he wrote the screenplay during the first term of former President Barack Obama, when racism was believed to be a thing of the past. He thought there would not be much interest for his movie in such an optimistic climate, so he wrote it mainly for himself. With the increasing discussion regarding violence against African Americans and the coming of the Black Lives Matter movement in later years, he knew the time was right to make the movie. That's kind of sad, isn't it? I mean... The, uh, you know, Obama's presidency thought to have been the beginning of the end for racism, and then turns out, no, not even close, especially now with uh, President Trump. Just things (laughs) seem to have taken a nosedive socially. Uh, All right, number two. Due to its rare and impeccable rating score, Get Out was named the best rated film of 2017 on Rotten Tomatoes. That's pretty cool. Good for, good for Get Out. Number three. 2017 became the first year ever that the horror genre had reached $1 billion in ticket sales at the U.S. box office. Thanks to this film, It, Annabelle Creation, Jigsaw, Split, It Comes at Night, and Happy Death Day. 2017 was a very good year for horror films. Get Out, phenomenal. It. Fucking loved it. Split. Split. Fucking loved it. Animal Creation, fucking loved it. Jigsaw, fucking loved it. It Comes at Night, I fucking hated it. So, <laughs> yeah, that one, that one was not very good. And I still haven't seen Happy Death Day, but I'm sure it's good. Number four, the film's title, Get Out, refers to roadside signs that were posted along the highway at town or county lines in the southern United States. The signs would read Get Out and were directed towards African-Americans, advising them to leave town by sunset in what were known as sundown towns, all white municipalities or neighborhoods in the U.S. that practice a form of segregation by enforcing restrictions excluding people of non-white races via some combination of discriminatory local laws, intimidation, and violence. How fucked up is that? There were signs that told African-Americans to get out of their town. <laughs> just by sunset cuz they were going to get fucked up if they didn't and this is, you know, in the 1960s That's, that wasn't that long ago. We have not come very far in all that long. I mean we're we're good, we're better, we're a lot better, but that shadow is still lingering over us and I'm not sure if it'll ever leave. Uh so for my final one out of 10 score I'm gonna give Get Out a solid eight. Very enjoyable horror flick. Even better on the second go round. Prior to doing this podcast, I had only seen it at the movies. The one time I saw it in 2017, and I'm very glad I had the opportunity and a reason to go back and watch it because it's it's very good. It's very socially conscious, and I'm it's a film everybody should see. Even if you don't like horror films, I think you'll like this one. It's not particularly scary. It just has something to say. Um, That's pretty much all I got for Get Out. Um, I want to thank you for listening. If you want to see more from Filmgasm, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or YouTube or both for weekly videos every Wednesday. As well as, you know, check my website, filmgasm.com, F-I-L-M-G-A-Z-M. And you can check out my social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, for updates on reviews, podcasts, articles, and any sort of cool movie news or trailers, I feel like mentioning at the time. Uh, re- I'm recording this on Tuesday, March 19th. Gonna upload it tomorrow morning or pro- probably the night. And uh, the the official trailer for Toy Story 4 just dropped. Gotta say, I'm not I'm not too hot about it. I think it is an unnecessary film. I feel like it doesn't need to be made. feels like a cash grab, and the trailer just... It lacks the heart of the first three Toy Stories. It just... Toy Story 3 was such a complete ending that this feels tacked on and unnecessary. And I hope I'm wrong. I really hope I'm wrong. But, you know, Pixar's sequel track record isn't great. I think the only one I really liked was Finding Dory. And, you know, Toy Story 2 and 3, but... Whatever. Uh, And before I go, I want to give a shout-out to Dick Dale, one of the pioneers of surf rock who died this past Saturday. Uh, His rocking tune, Miserloo helped add to Pulp Fiction's killer soundtrack, and it's the defining song off that soundtrack, the theme from the beginning that everyone recognizes as the Pulp Fiction music. He'll be missed. Rest in peace, Dick Dale. Uh, I want to thank Austin Johnson and Caleb Leger for keeping the site fully stocked with reviews and articles. And stay tuned next Wednesday for another Filmgasm. Don't know what it'll be. Looking at possibly uh, 2009's Drag Me to Hell. Although doing this has got me in the mood for some Hannibal Lecter. So, we'll see. And uh, in the meantime, don't get hypnotized. And always trust your friends when they tell you the girl you're dating is crazy. Trust me. They know you better than she does. Peace.